and amen. Well, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 3. As I said, we'll be in, uh, the sermon will come from verses 1 through 6. We're actually going to read 1 through 13 together this week and next as we kind of get the context of the whole passage. And I just want to talk this morning on the subject of the mystery of the gospel revealed. The mystery of the gospel revealed. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there is one provided underneath uh, the chairs there in front of you, sort of peppered here and there. The black hardback books are the, are the Bibles, and you could find uh, one there. Of course, you may be using a phone app or something of that sort. Um, I'm biased toward you know, paper and ink. But uh, whatever you might have that you read ordinarily, I would encourage you, urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to open it and look at it. Uh, as we read now and throughout the sermon. But I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand out of reverence for the Word of God, submission to the authority in it, and the expectation uh, that He's going to speak to us through it. Reading out of the English Standard Version, listen to the Word of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has, been, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can open it expectantly every time we open it. Because it is living and active and powerful, that it is able to cut the very center of our being, discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, and it's able to speak truth and life and wisdom into the very real, ordinary lives that we live and meet us right where we are. And Lord, this is one of those passages that can just be abstract and be hard to see for some the uh, relevance of that. And so we ask in a special way today, Lord, that you would make that clear to us and reveal to us as a body and us to us individually what it is that we need to hear and understand and how it is 
we are to respond to it. So we pray that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory. Lord, would you move me out of the way now, as always. Use my voice as your instrument to say what you will, in Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, I was late on the draw this week with, the, uh, with my newsletter article, so you may or may not have seen that um, come out last night. But I, I, I just mentioned, you know, we, we love mysteries. People love mysteries. I was thinking about this uh, this week as, you know, as I was preparing uh, study in this passage, but um, I hadn't really thought about uh, before just how universally it seems that people are interested to one level or another in mysteries. They might not be the, 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 the most interesting genre to everybody here, but it seems to be one of those things that has universal appeal uh, all across you know, cultures and age ranges and, and, and times and that sort of thing. And so we've, we've grown up on them and maybe continue to be entertained by uh, the mysteries on television or in books like Sherlock Holmes, um, Murder, She Wrote, maybe some years ago. Some may, may remember that being a favorite. Law and Order and shows like it. That are all, There's always one on TV, right? There's always one that's current. There's always ones that you can watch in syndication on Netflix or, you know, Amazon or Hulu or any of those places. There's always those uh, series that you can find. And ones like Father Brown, you may have seen that one on PBS, I don't know, about the, uh, you know, the minister who's always solving a mystery. I said to Monica as I was, uh, as I was making notes on this, it's like, um, I think if I were Father Brown, I would ask for a transfer to another parish because uh, that's a little tiny town and somebody's always being killed there, you know, but, but, uh, but it never ceases to entertain and even from, from childhood, right? Like we, we, as we began to learn to read and we could read independently enough to be interested in chapter books, there was a mystery chapter book available to us. So once upon a time, it was Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. I think Nancy Drew's kind of gotten a makeover. I think she's still around, right? They've just repackaged, put her in new clothes, you know, and uh, she's, she's still on it. Encyclopedia Brown, Boxcar Children, Nate the Great. I mean, there are so many series all the time. Mysteries. We love mysteries. I suggested in my uh, newsletter article, I, I wonder even about uh, games, like, you know, like hide and seek and so forth, or peekaboo. You know, I just found it as an intriguing thought that even as infants, um, people like for hidden things to be revealed. It's fascinating. It never ceases to entertain a little baby, right? Peekaboo. <laughs> One of the easiest things you could do. We love seeing hidden things revealed. Well, in Ephesians 3, Paul writes about a mystery that was hidden for the ages, he said uh, later in that passage, but has now been revealed. I suggested there are a few questions that would perhaps guide our understanding or our, uh, our process of coming to an understanding of what's being communicated here. Like, what is the mystery that he's speaking of? How is it made known? What special role did Paul play in its unveiling? And what does any of that have to do with us? 
What does any of that have to do with me? We uh, routinely, as I think I've mentioned before, on our session meetings on the Thursday pre... Well, we, we meet Thursday, uh, one Thursday a month at our stated meeting, but at that meeting, I always will read what the sermon passage is that comes up as a devotional, and we just kind of think together about that passage. What do you see? What questions come to mind? And so on. And this is one of those, I think we had some agreement that it would be easy to read that passage as we just did together and find it to be really quite abstract to have a lot of just Christianese language in it and to really have a hard time understanding what does that have to do with me at all. And so by God's grace, I'm going to endeavor to communicate something of that uh, this morning. But what is the mystery? How is it made known? What, what does Paul's role in that have anything to do with anything? And especially, what does it have to do with you and me? You may remember in the previous passage uh, that we were looking at last week, Paul said to us where we were once far off, we've been brought near, we were once uh, strangers and aliens, now we've been made citizens, members of the household, building blocks in the dwelling place of God. You remember that? Uh, he's done all of those things by his grace, um, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, and made us both one. And, and so, he begins chapter 3 with, with, that thing in, with, with all those things in mind, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then if you're looking at uh, the, an open Bible right now, you may notice, it, it may have caught your attention as we were reading, but it, it seems as though Paul's train of thought is sort of interrupted. We would count that as being by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But look at the way that reads in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. It's almost this interruption in his train of thought, which he picks up later. If you look at verse 14, he, he picks up with, for this reason, again, and continues. Or then in verse uh, one of chapter four, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. So he's, he begins a thought in the first phrase of chapter three, and then he, he sort of interrupts himself with what's almost like a parenthetical uh, thought here, and it's, it's 13 verses of thought. Now, why is that significant to point out? Well, because it strikes him as something really important to try to clarify for them, what he's going to say here about the mystery. Before I continue that line of thought, in other words, to put words in his mouth, let me be sure you're clear about a few things. And so let me see if I can help us be clear about a few things with regard to the mystery of the gospel being revealed. Number one, I think what one of the things we should take away from this and be clear about and be reminded of is that the gospel is a mystery. The gospel is a mystery. He says in verse 4, referring to this mystery, a word that he uses four times in these 13 verses. But he calls it the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. There is something in all that he's speaking of that's wrapped up in who Christ is and what he has done. But then in verse 6, he says quite explicitly, this mystery 
is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same, uh, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Sending the gospel to the nations was not God's plan B. God did not send the gospel to the nations because he didn't get the response he was looking for from the Jews. Granted, he didn't get the response that he called for, right? But, but, but it was not a plan B. It wasn't an afterthought. Uh, they were included. They are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise. It wasn't an afterthought. And in a sense, if we were to read on to verse 9, well, we did read on, but if we, were, if we were to look there again, we would see more clearly it's the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages. Hidden for the ages. It was always God's plan, but it wasn't revealed until the fullness of time had come. And we might think of things like, you know, throughout the Old Testament where we know having uh, living on this side of the cross and having heard the gospel, having had it written down for us, we might think about those places in the Old Testament that we know were pointing to Jesus and the work that he would do. We might think about uh, Abraham, um, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God said to him, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God called Abraham a man, just a single man, out of a pagan place and said, I will bless you and make you a blessing, I will make you a nation, and from his seed would come the people of God, he says to him from the very outset, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we might think, well, that certainly suggests all the nations, right? That certainly includes the Gentiles. But the point is, even though it's stated explicitly in some places throughout the scripture, it was hidden. It was a mystery. People didn't understand what had been clearly uh, stated. It was hidden. It wasn't yet revealed to them. But it was written in the scriptures that God's redemptive plan included all the nations of the earth. It wasn't understood. And you and I, by the way, in the 21st century, or some of us in the 20th century, when we came to that place of faith in Christ, we didn't do so by our own enlightenment or ingenuity, right? We didn't just figure things out. But it was a mystery to you and me as well. We didn't understand it because, number two, not only is the gospel a mystery, but it's made known by revelation, he says, revelation of the Holy Spirit. The mystery is made known by revelation of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm saying things here today, I realize uh, if you've, if you've been in the church for a long time and if you've been a student of the Bible, we know these things to be true and yet uh, very often we, we live as if they're not and I'm going to tell you why I say that. But verses 3 through 5, if you look, it says, the mystery is made known to me 
by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, verse 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It has now been revealed. I, in the little newsletter article that I wrote, I titled it Mystery Solved. Of course, playing on with the you know, kind of themes that we're familiar with, unsolved mysteries that we like, and of course we enjoy solving them. And uh, the, 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 the sort of misleading nature of that title is the gospel mystery wasn't solved. It was revealed. Part of what we find entertaining about mysteries, in fact, is trying to solve them before the end comes, right? <laughs> I mean, you know the end of the program is going to get there and the, and, and the solution is going to be told to you. Or you're going to get to the end of the book and, and you're going to find out. this. But you're trying to solve it ahead of time, right? Get out ahead of the author or whoever and figure it out. So that at the, uh, at the end, when the mystery is solved, you can say, I knew it. I saw that coming. If you're watching with somebody, you might even do you want me to tell you what's going to happen? Because I, you know, I've got this one figured out. That's part of what we, we enjoy about mysteries, right, is, the, is the trying to solve them. The mystery of the gospel, though, was not solved. It was not solved. It is not solved. It was and is revealed by the Holy Spirit. You may know of uh, several verses and a couple of passages in 2 Corinthians that talk about a veil being over the eyes or the understanding or the hearts of people and therefore don't understand the gospel. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.14, speaking of those in the Old Testament, he says, but their hearts were hardened for to this day when they read the Old Covenant that same veil remains unlifted. A veil over their heart or their understanding. A veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Now, why do I belabor that point? Well, number one, I'm trying just to explain what he has said to us. Uh, but, but also, I... I, I linger here for a minute because even though we know that that's true preaching to a congregation full of evangelicals I haven't said anything that you don't feel like you already know and yet there are ways we live all the time as if we are going to convince people of the gospel or not even of the gospel frankly that we're going to convince them of, uh, of biblical morality let's say like we're going to moralize people into submission or that we're going to persuade them sufficiently that we can nag them into the kingdom. That we can guilt them, shame them, right? Like we, we live that way all the time. We, we fret as parents or loved ones about other people that we know in the ways we want them to walk in the truth. We want them to know the Lord in the ways we try to get them there. There look very much like we do not believe that the gospel is a mystery that must be revealed. But rather that it's a set of moral principles that somebody needs to obey. And so get with it. 
But nobody will ever have the veil lifted from their heart that way. It is through meeting Christ himself uh, by, by the, the agency, if you will, of the gospel being proclaimed to them. The gospel is a mystery that is made known by revelation of the Holy Spirit. The one other thing I would say there as a little bit of a footnote is um, the whole Christian life doesn't remain a mystery. You know, there are people, there are people who uh, will, will teach the Bible, talk about the Bible as if it's all really, like the meaning is always hidden. Like, you, you, you know, that you got to be not just a Christian, but you got to be some special, super spiritual Christian to really understand the deeper things. And if you're not one of those, just come to them and they'll tell you, uh, you know, all the deeper things or whatever. But it's the, the, the Bible, the, the gospel, the, the way of life of a, of a follower of Christ doesn't remain a mystery to the one who's been born again, who's had that veil lifted. He's spoken it quite clearly. And we can understand it by the help of his, the Holy Spirit in us. We don't continue to live uh, uh, jumping from one mystery unveiled to the next. And again, that's a bit of a footnote, but I think that's sometimes important to say uh, in our context where we may be exposed to that kind of thinking. But the gospel is a mystery. It's, it's made known by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we should know from uh, one of the takeaways from us from this passage is that the gospel has been brought to us, each one of us, at a great cost. The gospel has been brought to us at a great cost. In verses 1 and 2, this is the, what's Paul's special role in this question. But he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, I'm a prisoner of Christ, he says other places, I'm a prisoner for Christ. But on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. I'm a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. You know, he said uh, later, I mentioned earlier, but he said later down in the text, um, that the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And he's saying, I was appointed as a steward of the gospel to you such that I am now a prisoner on your behalf. Which, by the way, he doesn't say to, to, uh, to put any guilt upon them. He closes the passage in, in verse 13 by saying, I ask you not to lose heart for what I'm suffering for you. But he does want them to understand, I'm suffering it for you. And I wanted to, this is where I wanted to turn back to Acts 22 so we get a, a context of what it is that he's speaking of here and, and, and the fact that we can appreciate the significance of the fact that he would say, the mystery is this, that the, that the uh, Gentiles are fellow heirs. To us who are Gentiles, in a manner of speaking, you know, the, the believers that have come from the other nations, um, that doesn't even, that's not even really big news anymore that the, that the Gentiles are included in the covenants of promise. And so let's look back at Acts 22, if you'll turn there with me, um, to kind of see where this blew up as a big deal. And I'm going to really kind of uh, paraphrase most of this 
But what happened is Paul, interestingly enough, has just left, uh, not, not too long prior to this, he's just left a meeting with the, the Ephesian elders. He had been on a journey. He kind of came and bypassed Ephesus, caught a little meeting right outside of town. The elders came down and met with him. And then he, and he, he leaves and goes to Jerusalem. He tells them, I'm not going to see you again. He knows, he's, he knows that bad things await him in Jerusalem, but he's going anyway. He leaves those Ephesian elders, goes to Jerusalem, and a mob meets him there. And they're already roughing him up, and Roman authorities come in, and basically they take him into custody to save him from a mob. They sort of arrest him for his own good. And in the course of that, he asked to speak to them. He asked the Roman authorities if he can speak to the crowd, and he begins to speak in Hebrew to them. And it says in the beginning of uh, chapter 22 that when, he, when they heard he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So they listened. He had their attention. And he goes through telling them, I'm a Jew born at Tarsus. He's the pedigree, right? I've got all the right education. School at the, uh, at the feet of uh, uh, Gamaliel or Gamaliel. Um, according to the strict law of our fathers, I'm the real deal. I was persecuting Christians. I was hard-nosed, hard-liner. And uh, he tells them in, you know, verse 6, when I was on my way to Damascus, this great light struck me. He took the whole story. If, you're, if, you don't, if, you, if you don't remember the story, go back to Acts chapter 9. If you do remember the story, you can just call some of the highlights to mind. He's on the road to Damascus. The Lord meets him there, gets his attention, strikes him blind, speaks to him, says that he has a calling for him, and then says, go into town here. Uh, you'll go to the house of Simon the Tanner. You're going to meet a guy named Ananias. He'll tell you what to do from here. And he goes on in verse 12 here, and he's telling the people about He's telling these, uh, this Jewish mob about this whole story of his conversion. And they're listening to him. He tells them he goes to Ananias, this devout man who... Uh, who who speaks to, to him and tells him about God's call on him, and he tells him to rise and be baptized. And, and then, pick up in verse 17, and I'm going to read from here. He says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know. That in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Like they know I'm one of those. Surely they'll understand. They'll get it, the story here of this conversion. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And they said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So you see, he's just given his whole testimony. Here's my Jewish pedigree. I was a persecutor of the church. Here's how I was converted, met Jesus of Nazareth on the road. He's all this they've listened to. And he says, then he said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And look at the next verse. Up to this word, they listened to them. Then when he said, God told me I'll send you away to the Gentiles. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. 
for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, what a tantrum, you know? Then the tribune ordered them, uh, ordered them to be sent into the barracks. What, what was it? What was it that just uh, that lit the dynamite, as it were? What was it that, that ignited that whole issue? It was the, the claim that God had good news for the Gentiles. And maybe some of you know that and you remember that. Many may have missed that important detail in the book of Acts. There were lots of things that offended uh, the Jews of that day in both what, what uh, Jesus preached and what Paul preached. But the thing that sent the mob over the edge was the claim that the good news was for the Gentiles as well, that they were to be included in the promise. They absolutely blew up here, and, and what happens from here is Paul ends up in a Roman prison. You can read the other chapters, but now we come back to Ephesians 3. When he says, I am a prisoner on your behalf, that's what he's talking about. He has a calling from God to take the, the, the gospel to the Gentiles. And when he announced that, he ended up in prison. And that by the grace of Roman soldiers, because he would have ended up in a tomb if the mob had had their way with him. It's, the gospel was brought to them at great cost. Not only for them and for us did it involve the cost of the very life of the Son of God. We always ought to be reminded of that, right? That as the saying goes, grace is free, but it is not cheap. It costs Jesus his life. But one of the things Paul reminds the Gentiles of is it cost my freedom as well to bring the gospel to you. It costs him his safety uh, because that wasn't the first time he was nearly killed by a mob. And it's a reminder to us that this is one that we are apt to forget because we've, we've been born and raised in a place where there is such freedom uh, of religious expression publicly and privately of worship and all other kinds of living out of our faith and not only for Christians but those of other religions as well we have lived for so long in that sort of environment that it, there's really no there's no threat to us in talking openly um, about the things of God talking openly about the gospel the biggest threat is usually that somebody's going to make fun of us or something or make us feel uncomfortable. There's not real threat to us, and we've lived so long in that environment, we may forget the fact that the gospel came down to us through the centuries at great cost, beginning with the death of Christ, continuing with the imprisonment and later the death of Paul, along with the death of all the other apostles, continuing with the imprisonment and martyrdom of pastors, missionaries, lay people in the church, in the early church, and, uh, and on down through the centuries at different times. Even as the church has uh, wandered into darkness um, at different seasons down through the years, and those who spoke 
truth to the lies and brought light into the darkness, did so at great cost to them and great benefit to us that the gospel would continue to be proclaimed and even make it to the shores of this continent where we now live. The gospel came to us at great cost. And that is uh, a reason for us to be thankful far more often than we probably are. We don't think about that as, as something to express thanks for. But I would say that our response to all of this, like what does this have to do with me and, and what do we do in response, that um, there, is, there are at least two reasons for us to be thankful people, that a, that a fitting response for us of expressions of thanks uh, could be made on two, two uh, points, I suppose. One is just thanking God that he, by the revelation of his spirit, made known to me the gospel. Do you think about that from time to time? Do you remember that once upon a time, you didn't, you hadn't heard or understood the gospel? Or that once upon a time you had and uh, professed to believe it, but then wandered off and he found you wherever you were and was gracious to draw you back? He, that he made himself known by revelation to you, uh, we, we ought to be thankful often for that. And we're, this is leading somewhere, even in uh, Paul's letter here, as we get to chapter 4, and he really starts talking about, because all of these things are true, how should we live? And one of the ways we should live as, is as grateful people all the time. If we, if we remind ourselves often that God, by his grace alone, revealed to us the mystery of the gospel, we'll look differently upon all those people out there who don't know the gospel, don't want to hear the gospel, live uh, very antithetically uh, in relationship to the gospel. We'll think very differently if we're reminded often. I, I know what I know. I am who I am because God made known to me by, re by the revelation of his spirit. And the second, again, is thank you, Lord, for all of those people down through the years who uh, paid a high price for the gospel to be advanced so that it would end up one day at the appointed time, landing upon my ears, penetrating my heart, um, and bringing me into relationship with him. It's a mystery made known by revelation of his spirit at great cost to those who have made it known. And at great cost to those who are still doing that. Um, especially in other parts of the world. And may it be that we're faithful stewards uh, of the grace, the gospel that he's given us, that a generation yet unborn will know it too, that he'll raise up from among them the other Pauls and the Peters, as it were, um, who will 
impact and change the generations to come. Let's pray together. Well, God, we do thank you. We just thank you, Lord, that the very thing that was hidden for the ages was revealed to us who know Christ. That the very veil over the hearts of millions upon millions of people and down through centuries and centuries that that veil was lifted for us, not by us, but for us. Thank you, Lord, for that and for the price uh, that men and women have paid whose names we don't even know, who aren't recorded anywhere in history perhaps, but who paid a high price to remain faithful to you, to proclaim the truth that you've revealed so that we might be the beneficiaries of it. God, we thank you and we pray that you would make us faithful stewards of that, however you would call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.